right, welcome back to Esbot, a bookish podcast. My name is Reggie. It is just me this week because Elle is out sick. But joining me today is Z Novos, sci-fi fan, uh, pin collector, enamel pin collector, enamel pin creator. And today we will be discussing Network Effect by Martha Wells, which is the fifth book in the Murderbot Diaries. Now, before we get into um, talking with Z about this, I'm going to read a little bit of the Goodreads summary. You know that feeling when you're at work and you've had enough of people and then the boss walks in with yet another job that needs to be done right this second or the world will end, but all you want to do is go home and binge your favorite shows and you're a sentient murder machine programmed for destruction. Wow, I can't speak. Congratulations, you're a murder bot. All right, Z. So, <laughs> murder bots. I know you and your love of robots, but how about we uh, get kick this off by giving? How about you give us your version of that summary because that is a very vague summary. Yes, it is. So, uh, like, it kind of summarizes the series as a whole, but not entirely as well. It's it's an interesting summary. The summary for Network Effect itself is. Essentially, so you've got Murderbot. Murderbot at this point in the series is very comfortable with everyone from Preservation Auxiliary or Preservation Augs, as um, it's referred to sometimes. And in this one, they're on a survey for Dr. Arata for her first time leading one. And she wanted Murderbot along because it knows what it's doing for security and everything. And it's all fine until out of nowhere... Um, a figure from Murderbot's past appears and they get dragged off to a planet where there's possible alien remnant um, infection going on and they're not 100% sure what is happening, which is, it, I'm trying to be as vague as possible to open just in case anyone wants to like pause and then go read before they come back for spoilers. <laughs> yeah, specifically because this is the fifth book in the series. Yeah, exactly. So let's get into why you chose this one in particular. So I chose this one in particular because, so first of all, it's the longest inst- installation of the series so far. The first, like the other ones are all novellas, aside from like a short story that's like a prequel that can be found on Wired under um, the Future of Work Compulsory. Um, and while the rest are all very episodic, um, this one is more like a movie. And you get to see more of how Murderbot handles a seriously complex issue rather than, okay, here's a smaller thing that can be done within like 100 or so pages and we're good. It also has more of Murderbot trying to figure out its relationships with non-humans because the overarching theme of the series is Murderbot has hacked its governor module before the series starts and this is when it it frees itself and then the journey of it figuring out what it wants to do with its life and how freedom looks for it because um the first novella like the way it ends is murderbot going i know one thing i want which is i don't want other people telling me what to do and so it goes off to have its own soul-searching exploration. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, so Network Effect, it's got its humans around, of course, but then it also has um, a character from the second novella, which was um, Artificial Condition, that character being Art. Um, its real name is Perihelion, but Art is what Murderbot calls it. And so they have a complex relationship because Murderbot spent its entire life up to leaving um, Dr. Mensa originally being told what to do all the time and having to be very careful to make sure no one found out that it had freedom um, to do what it wanted after it hacked its governor module. And then Art, on the other hand, has been able to do whatever it wants its entire life. And it's got so much power in its brain well brain being a relative term here but it's like it's got so much power that it could just overpower anything else it wanted to and it's a gunship essentially so it can just do what it wants and that 
that causes quite a bit of clash between them. And then later on in the book, there's another character, another non-human one, um, and Murderbot has to figure out how it feels about that. And then we as an audience realize that uh, Murderbot's description of what um, constructs are is unreliable as well as other parts of its narration. It's like, oh, we took it for granted that what Murderbot said, um, for example, security units or sec units are, or what comfort units are. It's like we took what Murderbot said they are for granted and like, okay, so all sec units are depressed and anxious, but then you come across somewhere they actually aren't. And it's very interesting to see how all of these relationships work while they're trying to navigate what to do when they're dealing with other people that aren't human, because they're all used to humans. That is interesting because I would say for a lot of sci-fi, robots more or less follow the Asimov principles within yeah. their programming. And this seems to be breaking that conception yeah. a bit. Um, and then for people who don't know what the Asimov programming, that's like the iRobots where they have to have like certain principles. I'm explaining it poorly because I'm not an expert on it. It's been a long okay. time since I've read it. All I remember it. is like, don't harm humans. <laughs> yeah, don't harm humans unless something happens and then things go to hell. Yeah. Um, okay, so with these complex relationships then, are all the relationships with Murderbot the primary focus of this novel let's say are most of them with other robots or are they with humans so how how are we it's mostly humans it's mostly Mostly. humans because um so in network effect um after the survey ends which is literally just like i think it's just the first two chapters they've come out of the wormhole they're about to return home and then there's suddenly this massive ship on their radar they're all freaking out because where the heck did this come from and then um, Murderbot and Dr. Mensa's daughter, who's along on the survey, uh, Amina, they're both sucked into the ship and Murderbot's like, I am having a memory failure. This is not good because that looks like art and art can't possibly be here. Once they're on the ship and Amina confirms like, oh yeah, the, the uh, suits say perihelion. Murderbot's like, well, I do have that communication module in the pocket under my ribs, which I definitely didn't forget about until just now. And then um, they're exploring the ship and Murderbot's trying to figure out what's going on because like there's complete silence. Like it's not picking up anything. Like there's no sign of art within the ship. And then Murderbot gets knocked out briefly when it comes to, it finds Amina being menaced by these two people who have gray skin and they look human otherwise. And they're insisting that there's a weapon or something that uh, Amina should be able to give them. And if she doesn't, they'll hurt her. Um, and then when Murderbot enters, instead of saying, like asking a question that's relevant to why they were kidnapped, Murderbot's first question is, where's art? Um, and then as soon as the uh, targets, as Murderbot refers to them, because it's like, well, they're not friendly. I don't like them targets. Um, they're like, oh, we killed it. And so Murderbot murders both of them <laughs> very <laughs> graphically and is like, that felt good. I think I should do it again. And then um, it goes and works on saving Amina and uh, these other two humans that were stuck there and creating a safety zone while it's trying to deal with its emotional breakdown that it is not acknowledging is an emotional breakdown. Um, and... They get their safety perimeter. They find out that there's some weird stuff going on because it's like, we didn't see any ship like yours. Why do you think we were on the ship before you were? And why is the wormhole countdown in minutes and not days? Because no wormhole travels that fast. And when they exit the wormhole, um, Murderbot finds that there's an alien remnant on Art's engine that... A couple of the uh, survey members are accidentally stuck to the outside of the ship and would have died if it hadn't exited the wormhole that fast. And so it starts trying to figure out, okay, what is it that's actually controlling this group? And so it gets access to it and it calls it target control system. Um, 
when the humans, which it's like, can't access it, get dumb humans to access it for you. Um, so the human uh, targets, they use some of their tech to try and figure out what to do next. And so Murderbot launches a code attack, which it literally saw in a uh, historical drama on target control system, which works. And when target control system goes down, a, a message comes through from Murderbot, which originated on art itself. And it's just a clip from one of the shows that they watched together, like the first one they watched together. And it's of a character saying, I'm trapped in my own body. And Murderbot's like, art could be alive. And so like, it rushes through the ship, emotional breakdown, absolutely not done yet. And almost gets itself killed. Like, it's losing a lot of body mass. But it manages to uh, get to the control center, find that Art backed itself up into the kitchen module, (laughs) and unlocks it and reinitializes. So then Art kills the rest of the intruders, and they find out that Art's crew is missing and was kidnapped by the targets. And so because this is like the setup for like how art and murder bot interact. It's like the humans are around to provide a bit of, um, a bit of background, but also for them to try and navigate how to interact with each other around humans, because the last time they were together, it was just them. So, and they were just meeting for the first time back then. So this is like Murderbot's pissed because art endangered its clients. It was its very first contract job. And it's like, and you fired on their ship. How dare you? I'm pissed. We're not friends anymore. And then uh, it's like flipping the bird at the ceiling and everything. And the humans are like, anyone who thinks that machine intelligence doesn't have feelings needs to be in this very uncomfortable room. (laughs) It kind of feels like Murderbot and art. It's like, from how you've described it, they're a little bit more than just friends in a sense. Like, they care for each other on another level. Oh, absolutely. But the fun thing with um, that description there is that at one point, Amina's like, so your relationship? And Murderbot's like, don't call it that. Like, no, humans (laughs) have those weird, gross things. And then then Amina's like, so it's not sexual then. No! (laughs) Because Murderbot is very, very ace. Um, Well, we have ace representation in bot form. Exactly. Because, like, Murderbot is an introvert, it's ace, it's non-binary, it's, like, in one of the books, it literally puts indeterminate when pretending to be a human, and it's, like, what gender do you want displayed on the feed? It's just, like, indeterminate. It's not dealing with any of that. Oh, yeah, it's so great. I I really love that because that seems to be a better representation than a lot of other novels that I've read recently. Mm -hmm. Because there's usually a lot of insight that maybe people who are not ace or agender or non-binary or what have you try to put into with representation. And it usually just misses the mark just enough that you're Mm -hmm. like, it's not quite there. But this seems to be almost like the perfect receptacle for that. Yeah. Because Murderbot is a robot, so the robot can be whatever it wants to be, so it makes it indeterminate, which is kind of great. Mm -hmm. It's really, really good. I mean, I am loving everything you're telling me so far. And for those who, I mean, I'm introducing Z to a whole bunch of new people with this podcast, but um, Z is really into sci-fi, if you can't tell. Z loves (laughs) (laughs) sci-fi. Um. But I want to know what drew you to Murderbot in the first place, because I know you, I know your ace, and this is something that just by reading that Goodread summary at the beginning, you wouldn't know that there is this representation within the book, within mm-hmm. the series. So how did you come across this piece? So I can't recall exactly, but when I read... Um all systems red which is the first title in the series i was still working at a bookstore at the time and i think i might have been checking out like i think i was checking out tor.com's website and then i think what happened was that i'd signed up for their ebook club 
and then they sent it out for free and I was like okay let's give this a try and within like the first few pages I was like I love this character this is extremely relatable and this was before even knowing that Murderbot was ace because like on the very first page it's like I could have like basically it's like I could have been like a serial like not a serial killer like a mass murderer (laughs) but it's like but then I discovered 3,500 hours of mass media and it's been about that long since then so I failed at being a mass murderer but I have watched that much so now I just half-ass my job and uh pretend that my governor module is still intact and then um yeah it's like it was so fast for falling in love with this character because it's like it's first person narrative and it's all just done in such a fun way like murderbot is as i said before like an unreliable narrator but it's like for example um when it gets bitten by this massive creature that comes out of the ground it's like tooth or cilia. Do I mean cilia? I have to look that up later. And it just never gets to it. <laughs> and, oh, but it's that's like, relatable. It uses the wrong word for things sometimes. So like in uh, network effect, it uses the word anagram when it means acronym. And someone points out that's not an anagram. And it's like, whatever. It's like, I don't care enough to, to be bothered if that word is not the one that I meant. Oh my God. That is so relatable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like just... It, that is such a humanizing characteristic and something that we all as consumers of media in general have done at some point and is just like a human factor. And I love it that. Is. I love that so much. So can we talk about art a little bit? Oh, absolutely. We can. So I'm trying to get my wrap my head around art, you know, because it was Murderbot. Murderbot is... Now Sentian has overridden that governor process. But why has art had that freedom in comparison? We haven't gone into art's origins a lot, but it belongs to the uh, Pan University of Mahira and New Thailand. I believe that's the proper thing. It's it's a long name. Um, But basically, it's... When it's in Corporation Rim territory, which Corporation Rim is another thing I love about the series because it's like, yes, this is absolutely the terrible, corrupt shit that um, corporations would get up to. Um, But it's like when it's in the Corporation Rim, it pretends that it's just a bot pilot that and like it doesn't have a ton of control over all of the processes in the ship. It just controls navigation. In reality, though, the ship itself is Art's body. It had like when in network effect when Murderbot is trying to check and see like what happened to Art's memory and it's looking for like what would constitute a hole in its processes. It's basically getting like second by second updates on every single part of Art's body. It's like it doesn't feel pain if it's damaged the way that Murderbot mm-hmm. does. But it has constant feedback from everything. So, like, lights flickering, that's almost like a body response for art. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, like us getting goosebumps or something. That similar kind of involuntary thing, depending on what's going on. Um, But, yeah, so art is, it's a massive intelligence. It's got a research and exploration vessel as a body, which has attached guns. It's not explained exactly what they are, but Murderbot's like probably has a concealed railgun or something, and because um, it like it can blast apart asteroids and things. But in Network Effect, what we find out that we didn't in Artificial Condition is that what Arts and its crew does is like yes, they do research and exploration, but what they do on the side is work to screw over the corporations because what the corporations do when they want to take over a new planet is they seed it, which basically means they dump people there and then occasionally give them supplies, but they don't give them the option of leaving the planet. It's entirely involuntary. I feel like that is a a theme that we see a lot in some sci-fi genres. Um, So then what happens sometimes is that uh, the colony fails or like the corporation goes bankrupt and loses and the data on where the thing is, is lost or there's a hostile takeover. And so the system they're in was one where it was seated before the corporation rim. It was seated after the corporation rim. But then the company that held it was taken over. Most of the data trove was destroyed. And then it was reconstructed and bought by another company. 
which is bearish estranza. And so what Art and its crew does is they look for systems like that. When they hear about a reconstructed trove, they go to the systems, make contact with the people who are left, if there are any, and then they forge documents saying that the company that had it originally had made agreements that if the company went under or something, the the planet would belong to the people who lived there. So basically, FU corporations get out of here. And then they'd help them set up to be completely independent so they couldn't be pressured by the corporation rim. So Art can like is able to help do all of this work for its crew and do like a ton of stuff simultaneously. And so it is very used to its own way. Mm-hmm. It's like at one point in the book, um, Murderbot is watching a show and ignoring like f- over 400 pings from Art um, because it knows that Art's capable of great patience but also intense rage if it doesn't get its way immediately. So this is like Murderbot's one way of messing with it. Um, and then Art's also a smart ass. And it's amazing. It's like they're both, they both sarcastic at each other and it's great. This is an absolutely incredible relationship between a giant ship, essentially. Yeah. And a Murderbot. Oh, yes. But, I mean, like, this also is... As you describe it, it's coming across as, and full disclosure, I have not read this, and as far as I'm aware, Elle has not as well. But this I hope is coming to change up, this. I know I, you're selling me. <laughs> you, you are selling me. Um, but it's coming across as incredibly approachable sci-fi. Sci-fi has this like reputation sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. where you have to have a certain level of scientific understanding to, especially for hard sci-fi to even understand what's being portrayed or Mm -hmm. it it tries to be purposefully obtuse. So only like those who get it can get it. That's not true all the time, but it does have a reputation amongst the masses sometimes with this fact, but this is coming across as something that's incredibly approachable and readable. Yeah, it, it really is. And I think one of the reasons for that is because since Murderbot is an unreliable narrator and just, doesn't care about so many things in the narrative it's like oh i think it's this that or the other but i don't really care so um yeah you don't learn more about it because murderbot isn't interested in it or its education module didn't contain it and it can't be bothered to go and find the information because it's not applicable to whatever it's doing yeah and that prevents that information overload and Mm -hmm. over explanation that sometimes any genre can be guilty of mm-hmm. because sometimes we don't need to know in world building every single detail exactly like what is applicable to you right now as long as those rules are consistent across the rest of the story but you're not just suddenly breaking a rule because you need that for a plot point yeah as long as it's consistent, then there's no need to have that excessive world building. And that also makes it more fun on the fan side, where it gives you a little bit more freedom to imagine. Mm-hmm. And I really like that. She's coming across so far, Martha Wells, who is the writer of this, as someone that I would probably love to be friends with. I was reading through and Ask Me Anything on Reddit, and... Um... Yeah, she definitely has, like, I definitely get that sense about her. I did like that someone was like, oh, um, what kind of sci-fi would Murderbot watch? Probably Altered Carbon. And I was like, oh, I've watched that show. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So how about you give a quick overview of Altered Carbon, just so people know why you were, like, excited about that. And also it gives us a little more insight into Murderbot. Okay, so Altered Carbon, so... You know how in Blade Runner there's the replicants and um, in like the Matrix it's like they can plug in and change things. Well, Altered Carbon, so quick note before I go any further, don't read the book. The book is um, kind of terrible. The show is way, way better. It's one, This is one of the few times where the show is better than the book. Um, for, the, for the first season at least. Uh, But basically the overview is that um, technology advanced to the point that someone created these little chips that you that 
fit in like at the base of the neck where like, where it meets the the top of the spinal column mm-hmm. um, and these stacks as they're called they contain your entire consciousness and they're inserted at like two years old so that you grow up with them and so the body then becomes known as a sleeve which you can see that's already going somewhere terrible um, but because re-sleeving is an option you that don't sounds, have to die if you're rich worse you don't have to die if you're rich so the oligarchs just keep getting richer and richer over a period of like 300 years um and so planetary travel is possible because you can just send the information from your stack on earth to wherever or whatever you want and so our main character in altered carbon is called takeshi kovach and he's um what's known as an envoy they were a rebel group that wanted to destroy um the ability to keep going forever so they wanted to introduce a virus that would make it so that you could you'd cap out at 100 years no exceptions so that the rich couldn't just keep getting richer and oppressing everyone to the extent that they were they were unfortunately all killed except for Takeshi and then he was put in Alcatraz until this rich guy um, has him brought out to act as a private investigator for him to solve his own murder because his previous sleeve was killed his stack was destroyed but his backup satellite because all of the rich have a backup satellite to make sure nothing happens to them Mm. um, was able to restore him but he was missing 48 hours so he didn't know who had got him so he doesn't know where to direct his uh, fury but he wants Takeshi to find out so that's the whole that's the whole summary without without any spoilers and I really like it Takeshi does also have a um, a friend that's an AI that has a body that you can walk around in, which is a hotel named Poe. It's based off Edgar Allan Poe, and it's fantastic. That's very interesting. I have no idea how I missed the series. Usually I have, like, at least some, like, peripheral knowledge of series yet somehow yeah. i missed this one i have as, no idea as a how. warning for people though there is nudity sex drug use and a lot of violence and gore at points so if anyone doesn't like those things just as a note yeah um it's always good to know especially because everyone has different tolerances yeah and we should always just acknowledge those tolerances and those limits even if you do not personally agree with them like as you know z i'm very into like gory crazy horror yeah that is not everybody's thing so i have to you know give certain content warnings and things like that just in case that is not someone's cup of tea yeah and it's not hard it's just like watch out there's body horror in this done Two seconds of time. <laughs> but Altered Carbon, I mean, I can see why Murderbot would be interested in that. There's a lot of, I feel like Murderbot, it would consume that in one sitting oh, yeah. very easily. And maybe adopt some of those uh, learnings for better oh, or for yes. worse. Well, it actively throughout the series like at points when it's trying to figure out how to deal with something it pulls on what it learned from different shows and and also um how the how uh dr mensa's team in all systems red originally confirms that it's like it's not under control of the company it's not using this show sanctuary moon as like a code Mm-hmm. Um, is one of the guys who's like, it can't be watching all that. And then another member of the team, I think it might have been Overse, Um, she's like, oh, is that the one where, like, the company solicitor, like, murders, like, the donor for her baby? And Murderbot's like, she didn't kill him. That's, that's a goddamn lie, basically. <laughs> and then they're like, it's watching it. <laughs> it's watching it. It is not just watching it. It is watching it. Oh, yes. Oh yes, absolutely. What I really like in um, Network Effect is that the narrative is interspersed with excerpts from a help me file, which it, the context for why this file is in creation is explained later. 
But basically, in one of the excerpts, it it admits before it can cut itself off that um, watching all of the media gave it context for its own feelings. And what it doesn't say is that it helped it feel like a person. Aw. I know. I mean, that's both enlightening and very sad, actually, at the same time. Ah, okay. I'm going to have to digest that. One of the Reddit threads I was looking through on Murderbot had someone going, maybe why Murderbot has trouble controlling its expression is because it watches a lot of soap operas and... There's a, like, they all have to emote very strongly. So maybe Murderbot subliminally just picked up emoting very clearly. I, I Okay. Now, is Murderbot watching telenovelas or are they watching, like, American soap operas? Because those are two different kinds of emoting right there. Oh, it's it's just watching anything that anything. catches its interest. Oh, wow. So it's reading things. It's listening to, to music and all that stuff. It's watching shows and movies. Because, like, in, in Network Effect, when it attends this, um, like, and this is a flashback scene, when it attends a festival with Dr. Mensa, because, like, she's like, come on, you'll enjoy it. There's performances. There's a lot of them. And it's like, <laughs> okay, 85. That, that's acceptable. I'll come for that. Um, but it's, like, it's recording a lot of different kinds of uh, performances because it wants to see all of them. And it knows there will be releases later, but it wants to see all of the versions. That is, okay, yeah. That's the same. Same Murderbot. Yeah. Same. <laughs> um, is he? Not he. Is it? I don't know why I just said he. I know. It's okay. It's... Some people use he. Some people use she. Even when they've read all the books. And even when someone else has reminded them. So. It's all so cool. Okay. Making sure I do not um, mispronoun this Murderbot. But... Is Murderbot able to consume multiple things at once, or is it strictly on, like, a one, 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 like, constantly consuming one after the other? So, it can consume multiple things at once, but from the narrative, like, the way it goes, usually it's doing other things, and then if it's needing to relax or something, it puts on familiar media in the background to keep it company. Or if it's watching something, it's dedicating its whole attention to that one thing that it's consuming so that it is enjoying it to the fullest. Okay, so this is a very, very humanized robot. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And what was great um, in regards to humanized is uh, um, in the novella that was released before Network Effect, because chronologically Network Effect is the most recent, but there was another novella that takes place before it. Um, but in um, Exit Protocol, I believe that's the name. I could be getting it wrong right now. But um, Murderbot, when, doc- when it's on its way to Preservation Auxiliary with Dr. Mensa, and it's reinitializing after a crash, At one point, Dr. Mensa tells it that um, it might have problems because usually humans expect that anything else that's sentient is going to want to become human eventually. And Murderbot's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I mean, true. Yeah. It describes, like, the smell of, like, where you know humans have been there is, like, a faint, dirty sock smell. (laughs) I can imagine. I can imagine. Also, the fact that this robot has olfactory. Well, because Murderbot looks human is the thing. It looks like an augmented human. It's because it's a the construct. It's it's they've got bot structure, but then they have cloned human tissue in addition. So when you have constructs referred to in the narrative, they're like that. So like the closest description is like cyborg, and mm-hmm. then when you have them described as a bot, that's when they're fully mechanical there's no organic matter at all like murderbot doesn't consume anything organic like if it does to pretend to be human it has to tuck it into its lung and then figure out what to do with it later um but yeah it's like anything described as a construct looks human at least augmented human Mm, interesting so are the humans in this world able to tell the difference? Like, let's go into, like, that Replicants and Blade Runner. Are they able to tell the differences, or do they blend right in? So for sec units, usually, like, they like they don't need to fidget. They don't 
have hesitations. They don't blink a lot, things like that. So it's like behavior wise, there's subliminal things that are picked up on where it's like, you know, that there's something off. If you work with sec units, you recognize this is a sec unit because like there's specific standards for like height and build. But in uh, artificial condition to help Murderbot pretend to be an augmented human to act as a, con- a security consultant, Art did a surgery to remove like a centimeter of Murderbot's height by like shortening its different bones and things. Um, and then Murderbot grew its hair longer. It grew that almost invisible hair that we have on us on across our skin and it let its eyebrows thicken. And then it wrote itself a bunch of codes to make itself blink more, hesitate every now and then fidget, things like that. And then it ran it basically constantly to help it blend in. And once it did that, it still looked like a human with way more augments than most humans would have, but people bought that it was human as long as it didn't do anything that was like a human isn't able to do that. That requires sec unit strength and internal mechanics. Gotcha. And art is there. Art is the wingman. Oh yeah. Art is absolutely the wingman in um, network effect. At one point when Amina is talking to Murderbot and basically needing some reassurance and art is just listening and lurking and Murderbot describes it as having someone eight times your size just shoving their way in and sitting in the same chair as you <laughs> or breathing down the back of your neck. Um, Murderbot's answering Amina's questions and Art's like, tell her you care about her. Like, in those words, don't say you'll murder whatever attacks her. Like, adolescent humans need to hear these things. And Murderbot's like, F off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Art is correct, but... Yes. Understood. Understand and, where Murderbot's coming from. Oh, yeah. And then Art's like, humans need to hear this from their caretakers and Murderbot's like I'm not a caretaker and like a couple sentences later because it notices Amina's sleepy it's like you need to get to bed and Amina's like yes third mom (laughs) (laughs) so have you ever encountered um a book similar to this before or is this just the first one where it's like wow this is not only super relatable but it's also something that you can easily reread consume fan over things like that so the main character isn't a robot but for sci-fi the closest i've got is the wayfarers series book one and two by uh, becky chambers um, which are the long way to a small angry planet and then a closed and common no wait not a closed and common orbit okay i can't remember the second one but the first is the long way to a small and angry planet because um for that series it's very it's a very comfortable read as well, but it is also very character focused. Like there is stuff going on in the wider world for the plot, but the focus isn't on all of the mechanics of that. So it's like, take Lord of the Rings where it's like, it's always focused on the overall picture and not so much the character to character interactions of the everyday and how their internal worlds are in the greater narrative. But um, the Wayfarers series is super focused on that. It Someone referred to it as like a comfort soap almost because it's, it's a whole road trip story. It's like they're on their way through space to make a wormhole and they have to go to the originating point and then link it to a point that already exists. So they're just on this ship for a long time together and they're learning about each other. And for a robot character specifically, um, in the first one, there's an AI named Lovelace. She's the ship. And one of the mechanics um, is actually in a romantic relationship with her and looking to get her an illegal um, body to have. Because, like, none, no AIs in the Wayfarers trilogy are supposed to have their own bodies, out, like, out of control of um, humans or organic races, I guess you could say. Um, but then in the second one, um, I forget what she named herself, but a Lovelace AI gets a body and then she's having to navigate having a body where she can only see from two spots. She doesn't have surround vision. She's a much smaller body. She only, like, she has limbs all of a sudden and then... One of the things she does a lot in the book is 
whenever she's in a room where it's a big room, there's a lot of people, she goes into a corner, puts a chair there and stands on it so she can get an overhead view of things and nothing can sneak up behind her because she's not used to that being something that can happen. And then she has to figure out how to deal with forming friendships because like she's a brand new Lovelace AI. And that's juxtaposed with the lady who's helping her where her life was originally dictated by being on this planet where you had two classes of human. One mm-hmm. class was basically like us, like there was all this variation and everything. And then the other class had been bioengineering themselves to be perfect. So they're symmetrical, their skin is flawless, they never have any issues with um, any diseases because they just they catch it and they biologically remove it. But ones like this lady um, I think her name was Jane um, they had to deal with disease the old-fashioned way like if it showed up in the factories where they worked because you'd have they because they'd all get cloned from like one person somewhere in the population so you'd have a batch of Janes and then once they were the next year up they'd be working on a different kind of thing in the factory and all the way through to um, when they were adults and you and as they went through you'd have a new batch of girls with a different name coming through and she escaped met an ai named owl and managed to escape the planet and that life with one of the um biologically perfect dudes who she met by accident and then they and the past that this lady has and then the present of this robot mesh in a very interesting way where it's like they have similar issues with figuring out how to be themselves in a new environment without having the same supports that they were used to because Jane was very used to being in a factory all the time and having consistent food a cleaning time a bedtime and everything but as soon as she was on her own she could make her own schedule and she had no idea what to do with that and she had no idea what to do with the world outside of building I'm I'm rambling a bit but I hope that made sense it does. And I think that actually does relate a bit to Murderbot Diaries in that once you stop having, like, someone controlling, like, your day-to-day functionality, you're all of a sudden on your own, and now you have to start making decisions on your own and start deciding who you are, in a sense. Does that seem like I'm going in the right way? You can say no. Yes, this is true. (laughs) So I guess it's fair to say that you seem to respond best with stories where there is a sense of learning. And kind of the journey is not where they're going, but how they evolve along the way. And that seems to be where you relate the most. Yeah, because like I love things like redemption arcs and stuff in stories because it's like, Something has happened. It was either really terrible or really good. And then what do they do from that point? How do they get to a better place? Yeah. That's and always interesting to me. I agree. I'm on the same of the same mind with you here because sometimes the stuff going around on the outside is not nearly as interesting on, on the as what's happening on the inside. Which mm-hmm. is why unreliable narrators, even if they're a robot, are so intriguing because you actually don't know what's going on. You are confined with this first-person limited perspective. So you have mm-hmm. to either believe or not believe what's going on with the story. Yeah. So, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, no, go ahead. I was going to say, like, having all the world-building stuff on the outside can be really interesting for giving context. But it's like when the narrative focuses so much on the world and the overarching thing that it's like, and here are your heroes and you don't understand them. You can't connect with them at all. I think that the story is weaker for it. I would agree. You can spend far too much time trying to answer everything in anything that you're working on. Let's say you let's say you, Z, decide to write a story. And you have now spent 20 hours just world building and you haven't dedicated 20 hours to creating characters that you care about. Mm-hmm. That is felt in the story. Yeah. 
like you have to care about the character and it's very obvious that Martha Wells does care about her character mm-hmm. and that comes through in the writing and you can pick up on that yeah and I think that's something that anyone who is into writing or if you're wondering why maybe a book I accidentally hit my mic I am sorry um <laughs> If you're if you're ever like reading a book and you're like, why am I not connecting? It could be that the author just didn't connect as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important thing to remember sometimes because our yeah. authors are not infallible. Oh, yeah, definitely not. So we're getting closer to time here. But do you have any recommendations for people brand new to sci fi? They've listened to this. They're like you know what, Murderbot Diary sounds great. We got some um, LGBT representation. We got robots. We got sci-fi. We got humor. What else would you recommend beyond the Wayfair series and the Altered Carbon TV series that people who are just dipping their toe into this genre might be interested in? Well, the first two things that come to mind, um, one is um, it's another Becky Chambers series that's just starting. So there's only one book out so far, but it's the Monk and Robot series, um, which is about um, this non-binary monk named Sibling Dex, who is trying to basically find something that's missing in their life. So first they set off to become a tea monk. And then they become fixated on the idea of finding crickets and meet a robot along the way and then talk about life. Which That one is a very, very comforting read. There are no major conflicts. It is literally just them traveling and talking to each other. Very peaceful. Um, and then my other recommendation, if people haven't seen it, is um, Next Gen, which is a movie. It's If you like Wally, you're probably going to like Next Gen. It's really good. And like there's... Um, like kind of like how in like the Mitchells versus the machines, there was, there were the good robots and the bad robots. Next gen also features that where it's like, you've got your good robot hero character. You've got a bunch of everyday robots. And then you have the, uh, big villain robot that isn't revealed until closer to the end for like what they want and who they are. Okay. Definitely have to check those out. So that was Monk and Robot series by Becky Chambers and then Next Gen. Yes. And it's funny you say Next Gen because that's also the name of an EHR system here in the States that... Amazing. I'm just like, wow. Oh, EHR means Electronic Health Record for anyone who doesn't know what that acronym means. So I just think that's amazing that the name matches up like that. All right. So, Z, I want to bring this up because... You're on here. You might as well scream about it. You design robot pins. Yes, I do. And I would like you to scream about your robot pins for a minute here because enamel pin collecting is very much so your thing. Oh, yes. I've been collecting for six years now. Yes. And I've seen the binders. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you have. And they're gigantic. But you also design your own and you design a lot of robot pins so i want to give you a moment just to scream about them to people well okay so before i go into like my own um i did design two murderbot pins actually that are official um for world builders last year for their charity fundraiser you can probably still find them on their site i haven't double checked but i'm gonna check that sometime soon and if they're all sold out there then i'll release the seconds ones that i have on my own site um, but yeah, so like you can check those out. One's a Murderbot quote with a uh, error code that I assigned to it because in Leet it's MB, but then I looked it up and found out it's a Cisco abandoned call code, which makes it even more perfect. Um, and then the other one is an art quote from Network Effect, which is also excellent. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And for my own pins, I like designing robot pins because it's a fun challenge. It's a lot of people go like, oh, robots are so hard to draw. And I'm like, humans are even harder to draw. And at least the robots are going to be a little more forgiving if you mix up the proportions a bit. <laughs> you can True. go, this is part of the design. It works. Um, yeah, so it's like I like designing original robot pins, just stuff that strikes my fancy. And then doing um, pins that are robot versions of characters from things. So, for example, I did 
uh, three robot versions of some of the designs from the Hades game by Supergiant. I did Karen, um, and then I also did Dionysus and Zagreus. Yes, and I'm looking at mine right now. <laughs> <laughs> they are great. The Karen design in particular is great. I'm so proud of that one. It looks so good, beyond all my expectations. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, so you've designed the official two official Murderbot pins. You have your site. So what site is that? So people can go, actually, all your social media, your shop link, we can drop in the description. But do you want to give that a little, little shill here? All right, all right. So... The website that I sell my pins on is Big Cartel. So it's pixeladiumcreations.bigcartel.com. And then I also have a Patreon under Pixeladium Creations. There's a sticker club at present. And then if you want to find me on social media, I'm on Tumblr under Xenovos. I'm on Twitter under Pixeladium. And then I'm on Instagram under Pixeladium Creations. All right, perfect. And if Murderbots has struck your fancy or anything that we've discussed today, by all means, pick it up. You will make Z very, very happy. And you can always reach out and talk about it on any of those platforms with them. All right. So thank you for listening to Esbat as well. We're going to wrap it up here. So if you are interested in following Esbat on Twitter, we're mostly on Twitter these days. It is at Esbat Bookish. If you want to follow my co-host Elle, who is an amazing editor, and if you need editing, please reach out to her. She is at L Turpit. And if you want to um, basically tolerate me screaming into the void, I am at Reggie C. Writes on Twitter. Uh, we are, of course, always available for any suggestions, topics. If you would like to be a guest on this show, by all means. And if you could rate and review, that really does help with the background work and helps us get to more people. Obviously, shares are also welcome. Um, I think that's it for us today. But thank you so much, Z, for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right. Until next time, you guys. Bye.